Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up with Chris Reed today of Neo Metals, plus a couple of his team join us uh, for a chat. With regards to their five projects, we talk about their final investment decisions on three of those next year, um, plus the kind of cookie cutter approach we can expect to see on their Barambi and Mount Edwards deal, having made a stack of money for investors on their Mount Marion uh, lithium project. They think they can do that again here. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversations, join us at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. We've got commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, especially the EV thematic that Neo Metals so dearly love. We've got summaries of interviews that we have done, in fact, all of our interviews, just to save you some time, because we know you're busy people, plus training courses, but most importantly, a thriving a group of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from judgment, trolling and abuse. And if you think that sounds nice, and I hope you do, go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Gentlemen, how are we? Very well, thanks, Matt. How are you? Well, surviving, mate, surviving. We've been unleashed here in London. We're allowed back in pubs, restaurants, and bars, uh, which I'm then studiously ignoring. Kind of like the gym. I, I, I like the comfort of knowing I'm allowed back in the gym and then not going. It's good. Very good. Well, we, uh, we wish all of our friends in the UK all the best. Thank you very much. Well, Enjoy. Hey, well, like, I'm, I wanted to um, catch up with you guys because your shares have been on a bit of a tear, which is which is good news. I think um, story starting to get recognised, and I think um, like a lot of sort of the EV um, themed companies um, doing quite well at the moment. Um, but before we do all that, Chris, can you just um, head us up with a sort of one minute summary of what your business is for people just coming into this space and perhaps haven't heard the story before? Yeah, sure, Matt. So we're an innovative project developer based in Western Australia. So, you know, we're looking to develop projects uh, for commodities that are exposed to the EV thematic and the energy storage megatrend. So that is the common intersection of our projects. So, you know, we're developing a lithium-ion battery recycling business in Europe. We want that to be the largest in Europe. We're developing a vanadium recovery project We've got interests in lithium, titanium, vanadium, and nickel that we'll uh, that we'll touch on today. But you know, essentially, we're looking at uh, providing these materials to you know to speed up the decarbonisation uh, of the supply chains, which is something every miner has to look at. And so, you know, with our recycling and materials recovery as a as a real driver, you know, we're we're trying to supply those those critical metals that are needed for a sustainable future. Yeah, I, mean, I think the thing that seems to be coming back, certainly from people like writing in to us um, with regards to you, is you're sitting at the end of that sort of supply chain. You know, you used to be miners, but now you're complete polar opposite end there where you're talking about sort of end of life recovery of, on the batteries or remediation of mining projects. And does that, does that seem to be the thing that people are talking to you about or, or coming to you and saying, well, tell us more about that? Look, I think that that pivot away from the upstream concentrates and to developing our end of life recycling and recovery projects have resonated well, particularly, you know, over the last sort of 18 months with the trend towards more ESG sort of principles. I mean, you know, we're looking to re recycle and recover, you know, their finite resources. We're looking at reusing them again. We're lo looking to do them very, very efficient, efficiently with a very low carbon footprint and using environmentally friendly processes. So it's really some of those technologies that we've developed for lithium battery recycling, the vanadium project that enable the production of these, you know, critical minerals and materials back into the supply chain with a very, very low carbon footprint. It lends itself to, you know, the circular economy, sustainable supply chains, ethical supply chains. Um, so I think really, you know, we just are really being noticed, I guess, for being early starters in the field. So do you, do you think there's a kind of, you set out um, having made your money um, with with Mount Marion, you made a lot of money for you and your shareholders with Mount Marion. So, okay, we don't want to be miners anymore. We want to move down into this whole this this whole green thematic is going to take off. We're going to move into this. Let's say project project uh, developer 
um, engineering side of things, right? So you, you, you've got various flow sheets which you've come up with on the, on the battery recycling and also the vanadium recovery type stuff. Do you feel that that message is getting a little bit muddied by the fact that you're now looking at Barambi, you've got titanium, vanadium, you've got your lithium projects, you've got, um, you've got a nickel palladium project now. Is, is it getting a little bit gray? Well, like I said, you know, we identify opportunities in those commodities. So, you know, we, we want exposure to the trend. That then distills down the commodities that are most positively impact. And we have either acquired projects at the bottom point of the cycle when they're, you know, when they become available, we're quite opportunistic. You know, with, with the management team and the board have been in the mining industry for a number of generations. So, you know, we've, we've picked projects or so we've either acquired them or developed them internally, right? So we've developed the lithium battery recycling internally. The vanadium project was bought to us but needed a flow sheet that was environmentally friendly because it's up in Scandinavia. And so we developed that, that it's enabling that to, to run. Um, I think, you know, you, in terms of Mount Marion, we developed that into the world's second largest hard rock source of lithium with a couple of multi-billion dollar companies. We did well, right? Um, and, you know, we got out at the top of the last cycle, then it's gone down because you, you do have to hold these mines for a long period of time. So we sold out of that. Uh, we still retain off-take rights uh, for the mine. Uh, the lithium prices have really started to turn and, and starting to accelerate. You know, now it would be the right time to go back and have a look at more lithium, albeit that, you know, for us, I, I think the recycling, you know, you recover nickel, cobalt, lithium at the bottom end of the cost curve. So, you know, do I really need to develop standalone nickel and lithium operations? Uh, recovery, obviously, you save the the carbon from the mine, that's where a lot of the carbon comes from, is in the mining of the bulk minerals and the processing and shipping them all over the world. Um, you know, if we, if we, for us, the easiest way to take carbon out of our production base is, is to simply remove the mines. Now, that, that's fine. And, you know, if you have a look at what's going to be required in 2030 to supply the gigafactories, even if we recycle everything that's available in 2030, the products that it you'll get will be less than 10% of what is needed to feed the gigafactories. Now, that percentage will grow, but that'll be into 2040 and 2050. So you're always going to need minerals. But for us, it's really to get and understand, like, you have a look at the Johnson Matthew guys, they won't get into an industry unless they can recycle uh, and they understand it. So we, you know, we understand the supply chain, it's particularly for lithium or lithium related products because we've been in it since 2009. So, you know, from the mine to producing chemicals, cathodes, cells, batteries, and, uh, and now the end of life recycling. So do you think that the this sector is doing all that it can? I mean, I'm intrigued by the you know, fact that you're, you're concerned over the, the carbon component and mining is inefficient in that regard. And you know, we hear lots of initiatives about zero carbon, et cetera, uh, sequestering carbon. But do you think the industry is doing enough as a whole? Are people having the sorts of thoughts or conversations or at least asking questions like you are in terms of the, their processes? Yeah, look, I think there are some advances being made, particularly, you know, in, in, in earth moving, you, you know, you, you're starting to look at hybrid trucks, right? I mean, in a, in a dump truck, you've got a diesel engine driving a generator driving electric motors, right, which, which run the wheels. So there's, there's no reason there practically that you can't get an energy-dense battery and, and replace, you know, burning diesel. But you have, to, you have to have the power. You have to generate the power. Now, how do you generate the power? So, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a chicken, it's a chicken and egg thing from, from that point of view. You still have to move the materials and we're still going to have to. So you have to have a look at the net benefit. Um, you're always going to have to have carbon, but, you know, I, I think we're going to have to have a look. So as an industry, how do you take the carbon out? Okay, we'll have to take it out of the mining at some stage, but the grades are getting lower. The mines are getting deeper. The strip ratios are going higher. So the carbon, we're going to have to fight just to keep flat carbon. So then you have to have a look at the processes to see if we can't do it more efficiently, uh, eco-friendly, and try to remove some carbon. So, you know, for the vanadium recovery project, 
um, you know, some of the world's highest grade vanadium grades in these steel slags that have been stockpiled for 40 years. Now, I get fantastic recovers from using sulfuric acid, as you'd expect, but I've got a sulfate tail that potentially can create acid mine drainage. Don't want that. So we developed a flow sheet uh, based on removing carbon from a, an industrial emission, capturing the CO2 and, and sparging that in to a, a, a solution uh, and creating a carbonic acid and actually dissolving the vanadium in a carbonic acid, which we can do with this calcium rich slag. So, you know, we will actually sequester about 65 to 80,000 tonnes of CO2 uh, per annum from, from that project. And, and so that's the hat that we've put on. Um, you know, it just helps your social licence. That's interesting. So you're, you're willing to give up some margin to do it the right way or, and, and be seen to be doing it the right way? Well, you know, I think, for example, if you have a look at South 32 the other day, they're, they're, they're going to pay or provide cash to, to get out of their profitable coal mining assets in South Africa because, I don't know, they've made that strategic decision to do so. That'll no, no doubt remove carbon from their, their company footprint. But, uh, you know, you, you, we, could, we would trade off those higher recoveries for a more sustainable business. Like, am I going to run into permitting issues there? Is it great for the communities? Um, you know, so reinventing some of those flow sheets is, is, is you know, how we're going to hopefully make some, some alpha, you know, and, and become, you know, more sustainable in the long run and have a more symbiotic relationships with the communities that we operate in. You know, when we had a look at the, the lithium battery recycling, you know, we've been at pains not only driven by high recoveries and high purities, you know, we've been safety is the number one priority, right? Because obviously, you know, lithium batteries do have energy in them. Uh, and then, you know, we've we've been at pains to, to ensure that we don't emit any NOx into the atmosphere, you know, maintaining a negative water balance, the you know, the, the, the choice of pH adjusters for us led us to use ammonia, which means we get an ammonium sulfate tailing. So essentially our tailing product out of the battery recycling, the biggest volume that we produce is actually fertilizer, you know? So it's, it's a, you got to think of it. We've got to look at things in a new way, in a new light. If we're if we're going to, you know, run a long-term sustainable business. I mean, this year we turned twenty. We've got to prepare the business to run another twenty. It, it's interesting. It, it's um, it's an imperfect business, but we need the stuff that's in the ground. And my question to you was around ec economics. So you're saying that basically doing things the right way is not mutually exclusive from profitability. Oh, you got a pr profitability over what period? Uh, I mean, seriously, you know, could I drag the uh, could I drag the samples to some, you know, other part of the world with less vigorous environmental? You know, you probably could, uh, and and make some more margin. But you know, really, you know, the resources are in the in the countries where they are. You want to do them in the most sustainable way. You know, life starts when you get a job. You want to create jobs. You want to benefit the communities that you're operating and you want to be there for a long period of time. Hey, Jeremy, you, you, you put yes. together a little ESG package uh, for the company. Do you think that it's the company is has absorbed that? This isn't just a, a gimmick to go out and get cheaper money from funds or pay attention to funds. You think that the company is taking it on board and, and it's all pervasive throughout the company? Or do you think there's a bit of work to do still? There's definitely work to do because year on year, the intention is just to keep building on, you know, what we put in our first sustainability report. But absolutely, it's pervasive because the projects that we're operating on, there's two elements to why they're interesting from a sustainability perspective. The first is we're looking at generating or producing materials that make clean products. And a lot of people can say that if, you know, if you're into nickel or whatever, you tick that box. So we, we satisfy that. That's the easy bit. The hard bit is what we've been working on for years, which is by virtue 
of some of these projects, particularly the ones in Europe, you're reducing carbon footprints of you know the entire supply chain, you're remediating sites, you're sequestering CO2. So we're actually physically doing it. I, I, we can't get any closer to ticking the ESG boxes. It's it's our basic um, modus operandi. Is it, but is it yeah, a case but, of, but, it, but, sorry, Dan, I just want to ask this question because something Jeremy said there was like, you, you're talking about, you know, doing, doing it clean, it, but given it's an imperfect sector in the sense that you're digging stuff up, spending a lot of money to dig stuff out of the ground, as an industry, it, it's, it's about doing it cleaner, isn't it? You, you can't, you can never be clean and make that claim because you're, because I, I think about, you know, some of the people who object to mining, they don't necessarily want people digging holes or drilling holes to go and find the materials to build the stuff which they use every day. Um, so you, there's got to be an honest conversation between both groups, haven't there, in terms of objectors and the miners? For sure. Darren, why don't I start with an answer and uh, it sounds like you can finish it for me. But in terms of digging holes and drilling, I mean, you know, I'm a fairly green person myself, but you can't have stuff without minerals. We're trying to complement the requirement to dig more stuff out of the ground, but you can't, you can't replace it. But our intention is to do it smarter and try and do it sustainably and ethically where possible. And I think our core message is that we've actively pivoted away from upstream minerals, particularly our reliance, our reliance on digging holes in the ground, but we haven't done away with it. To, like if we're to be clear on it, we're still exposed to minerals and exploration, but to a lesser degree, and we're heading in the direction of, you know, a, a complete reduced reliance on that. So it's it's in transit. We're getting there step by step. Yeah, if I could uh, add to that about the all-pervasiveness of the ESG thematic, um, you know, three, four, five years ago, I wouldn't have even contemplated CO2 footprint in any of the work I was doing. Not even It wouldn't even come into my mind. We are now evaluating options. For example, the Vanadium Recovery Project, we come up with new ideas on how to you know, look at the project, try and improve upon it. The first thing I do is ask the guys, what impact is this going to have on the carbon footprint? And we are actively sometimes avoiding some technologies and ideas just because of the carbon footprint. And that wasn't something I even contemplated a number of years ago. So it's a real a real big change in how we think. Well, it seems to me from some of the companies we speak to, um, they're still where you were five years ago. And I think that's the, that's the problem. It's the industry just kind of needs to move, move things forward and just do things differently. So, you know, I, I congratulate you guys. Um, can we talk about the um, five? projects you guys have got. And I think that, you know, people are slightly overwhelmed with the amount of information they need to understand about you guys in the sense that you've got your European initiatives and then you've got these mining uh, options as well. So maybe Chris, can you just sort of help us understand where you're at with the different projects? So I think that the most well-known um, is the um, battery recycling uh, project. So where are you guys sure. with that? And, and also in all of these, give us a sense of timing as to when these when decisions get made, when production happens, when you know, what could people be looking forward to? Sure. So our lithium battery recycling project that's been commercialised in a joint venture with SMS Group, who are one of Europe's leading uh, engineering houses. So we own it 50-50. We've brought along the IP and know-how. They've brought along their plant construction skills and operation skills. We're currently building a demonstration plant at Hilkenbach in Germany. Uh, the front end of that plant will be the largest capacity in Europe. Uh, we'll run it at about, it's permitted for a ton a day. So, you know, we've got feedstocks that have been supplied by uh, German car makers and stationary energy storage battery uh, producers. So we'll run trials. So we're gonna commission that demonstration plant this quarter. We'll finish the demonstration trials in July. We will then look at uh, completing a class three engineering cost study by the end of October, feasibility study end of December this year, and look to make an investment decision in the first quarter of 2022. So under the joint venture with the Germans, 
we are looking at, um, you know, they will build the plant. Uh, they can operate it and maintain it should we should we choose to and uh, they on a best endeavors basis are responsible for procuring uh, 50% debt financing and they are the second largest generator of German government backed KFW loans so we're very very happy with SMS's performance has been exemplary the you can see from our social media if you follow Primobius on Twitter or LinkedIn you will uh, you will see regular updates and uh, as you would expect uh, it is a state-of-the-art piece of German engineering and uh, you know, Jeremy can now comment on, on some of the progress that uh, the commercial team has made. Certainly the technical stream, uh, you know, fully funded uh, through to that FID and uh, and on track. Before, Jeremy, you jump in there, just you, you talked about a tonne a day now for the pilot plant, but what's the scope or extent of the full commercialised plant? I mean, I, I want a sense of scale. So stage one... So stage one for our commercial plant is, our first commercial plant is a 20,000 tonne nominal capacity. We have a 20,000 tonne shredder, uh, tonnes per annum capable shredder at Hilkenbach, uh, which is SMS's manufacturing headquarters. Uh, and that's designed to take the production scrap and, and off-spec material from a gigafactory. Um, we'll then look at stage two, scaling that up by a factor of 10 uh, to take the end of life. Because in these, in the cell uh, making plants, typically, you know, a steady state scrap rate is about 10%. In the early years, they're 20 to 30%. Um, but we have to plan to accept the other 90% back at end of life. So, you know, we do our engineering studies on both a 20,000 tonne per annum rate and a 200,000 tonne per annum rate. Wow. Okay. Thanks. Sorry, Jeremy. Where are we at with the commercials? A high-level comment on the uh, commercials would be that Chris just gave you an outline of the, the timetable. So, you know, very roughly, we've got this demonstration facility being built in Hilkenbach, Germany, and it's twofold. Firstly, we need to scale up the technology and, you know, we're, we're busy and very prepared to do that. We'll collect the data to go into feasibility studies to optimise the kit, essentially. But the second part that relates to the commercials is it's a, it's a showcase for us to show OEMs and other stakeholders exactly what we're doing. They can come and visit it in the heart of Europe. And ideally, we get feed material from potential partners and then we shred uh, refine the materials and give the chemicals back so that the value chains of these companies can evaluate, you know, whether or not they want to buy them and enter into offtake arrangements. So we're really busy on that front. The demo plant itself has well in excess of what we need to run the trial, um, all donated from potential partners and, and stakeholders. But importantly, for every material that we make, and some are low value, plastics, copper and aluminium foil, et cetera, and steel, and the high-value chemical products, we've got evaluation agreements in place so that every one of those materials is spoken for and somebody or multiple parties are evaluating them for the fact that come the end of the year, we have to go into a financial investment decision with confidence. So we need to know where the feed's coming from and who's going to buy it. And we're busy and having... Great progress, I think, would be my, my comment. So you you guys are getting focused on what you determine as commercial. I think the market wants a sense of when do you know and when can you tell us how much money is this thing going to make? Sure. We'll, give, we'll be able to give you an idea when we put out the engineering cost study numbers, which will be completed uh, at the end of October for a 20,000 tonne plant. Now, if you'd asked me last year what the biggest risk for the project was, you know, I was sort of, you know, we're in COVID and I'm sort of wondering, how am I going to get the feed? But, you know, in the intervening period since we've incorporated the joint venture, we've signed an MOU with a cell maker based in Eastern Europe. We've signed an MOU with a battery manufacturer and uh, industry heavyweight, Atochu, in Japan. And so not only of our own ambitions, because 60% of the mega factories will be going into Europe at this stage, uh, sorry, into Germany 
uh, of the, the capacity that's going into Europe, 60% going into Germany. So hence looking at a dedicated German plant, you know, uh, a second one most likely in Japan to start off with, with the Tochu if that gets to fruition. And look, the Japanese have been producing lithium batteries longer than anyone on earth. You know, and, you know, the Panasonics uh, of the world are the original suppliers into Tesla and stuff. So there's, you know, quite a decent volume of uh, production scrap and end of life in Japan. We'll then have a look at other Asia, other countries in Asia, ex-China with the guys at Atochi. Um, the cell maker in Eastern Europe, you know, we're actively looking at uh, developing relationships with, with OEMs, not only both in Europe, but also in North America. I think that's one of the beauties of having SMS there as plant builders, as your partner. They're not there to build one 20,000 tonne plant, they're there to build multiple plants and very, very large plants where they can in any geographic location. I mean, SMS, 150 years old, 14,500 employees in 95 sites around the world. You can, uh, our customers can rest assured they will get a state-of-the-art piece of German uh, assembled equipment built and operated and handed it over uh, and, and to whatever scale and speed that they require, you know. So, you know, we are very fortunate uh, in having SMS as a partner. So I just got to ask about competition, right? Because if if this um, you know these ecosystems in Europe and Asia and North America happen, they'll kind of want their own guys on the ground, um, and you're going to have to compete with them, you know, financially and technically. What what gives you the edge? You kind of got a first mover advantage here. Is that going to be enough? Yeah, look, we do have some competitors. You know, it's probably some of the better known competitors uh, from the sort of pyrometallurgical world which is sort of old hat, but, you know, it does reduce the amount of carbon vis-a-vis -vis making materials from fresh mineral concentrates. But, you know, we have a look at what's required in these new European battery regulations and, you know, it's really pushing everyone recycling mandatory, the recovery rates you can really only achieve in Hydromet. You know, our, our, our process, as I said, is very, very safe, very, very high recoveries. You know, we're achieved over 85% recoveries. I think the highest in the regs is about 75%. Uh, low carbon footprint, we expect, you know, if you look at making a tonne of batteries out of mineral concentrates, about eight tonne of CO2 per tonne of batteries. If you're pyromet, it's four tonnes. If you're doing uh, hydromet, we expect to land in the two to 300 kilo a tonne range. So stripping 90 plus percent of CO2 out of the footprint is good. Um, and so the product qualities, you know, our nickel and cobalt sulfate, which 85% of the revenue base already exceed the specs required for use in cathodes in China. Uh, we'll, we'll make some improvements in the demonstration plant there. And so in terms of, you know, what is required regu for regulations, we, we think we've got a best of breed solution. We've got a very flexible business model. You know, we can, we can look at providing a service. We can look at, you know, joint ventures. We can have a look at licensing um, regimes you know so we've got whatever whatever the customer needs you know we are there to provide a service and we think we've got many unique selling points i mean some of our competitors uh there's not that there's not that many that are in the public arena uh actually the licensed guys have probably got a, a flow sheet that's uh, reasonably similar to ours they got bought out for seven 975 million us dollars in a spac deal um, you know, they got 10,000, they got two 5,000 tonne shredders and a one tonne a day pilot plant. We got a 20,000 tonne shredder and a one tonne a day demo plant. So, you know, I, I would say they're four or five months ahead of us in terms of, you know, they're, they're creating black mass and, and, and selling that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, you know, with, with SMS, we've got a capability to build many i mean they've got four and a half thousand employees right europe uh, apart from the ev world you know economic activity in europe means that there's probably plenty of latent capacity to build plenty of plants so you know we're uh, we're very very much looking forward to the future can you build that out without diluting your current shareholders so look you know for the first plant if we were doing it as principal 
um, you know, we've got that capability to, to fund that off our, off our balance sheet. Um, we expect that the, uh, the interest rates from either a, a, a German government-backed KFW loan, you know, in Germany, they've got a 30% capital subsidy uh, for, for projects in, in these fields, which is, which is just fantastic. And, uh, you know, if we're doing joint ventures with cell makers and, uh, and guys like Atocha, you know, they'll be able to finance their share of whatever's required. And so, you know, from a positive final investment decision, we look at turning these plants on within a 12-month time frame, and they're very, very robust. You know, we have in our presentations, if you know, you have a look at LCO batteries, consumer electronics, about $13,000 of recoverable metal at spot prices, down to 811 NMC batteries, about five and a half thousand US dollars a ton, you know, and our, our published costs, you know, I think the last time we put out some numbers was 1600 US a ton for, for operating costs. So very, very healthy margins, you know, and so they're just very, very robust. At, at that point, you just try to find as much feed as you can. And, um, but, you know, we're acutely aware that, you know, we, we may be in a position where we need to, to fund the construction of more than one plant. Okay, well, I guess we'll we'll know more when you know more. Um, I want to move on because I do want today to talk about all five projects. Just give people a, sure. just in one place a, update on these things. So, um, battery side, battery recovery going well. Lots of deliverables. Um, uh, looking forward to uh, investment decision. Um, vanadium recovery. So another another you know, green initiative here. I mean, what's what's happening yeah. on, on that front? Sure. So look, from a very high level, we are earning into a 50, uh, 50 incorporated joint venture to process approximately 2 million tonnes of steel slag stockpiles that carry somewhere around 4% V2O5, vanadium pentoxide, which is some of the highest grades I've ever heard of. And you don't have to develop a mine. They're already on the surface. So at the moment, um, you know, we've been through a very, very vigorous evaluation process. We don't take shortcuts. So we've done lab scale test work. Uh, and we, then we did a scoping study. We then completed continuous uh, larger scale test work for 100 hours and then we are currently doing a pre-feasibility study. The engineering cost study numbers, you know, have just come out. Um, you will produce vanadium at the bottom end of the cost curve. You know, in the battery recycling, you produce nickel and cobalt at the absolute lowest, but for vanadium, you're in the bottom quartile. So, I mean, we are really embarrassed. It's an embarrassment of riches these two projects, you know, it's very seldom do you get projects that can genuinely, because of the high grade nature of the feed, operate at the bottom points of the cost curve. So pre-feasibility, uh, so engineering cost study numbers are out, looks fantastic, exactly what we thought it would be. Um, pre-feasibility and financial model out later this quarter. Uh, we are constructing a pilot plant. We've got 45 tonnes of sample. Uh, we'll finish that in early uh, July, and then we'll move straight into a bankable feasibility study, uh, finish that by June 30 next year, and then look to make an FID in the next in the six months following that, at which point we prepay for a big slug of those really, really high-grade stockpiles and start building a plant. Right. So that's in terms of production, production by the end of 24. Right, so relatively near-term production. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the numbers, other than bottom quartile in terms of cost? I mean, what, what do you? Is there any sort of sense around the economics of what this could mean for the company? Again, for shareholders I'll hand this over out. to Darren. Yeah, okay, Darren, come on then. Yeah, sure. Well, it's his project. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, as you, as we said, the engineering cost study numbers are out, and we're really happy with that. Um, you know, we've had the work uh, was. Good by uh, Hatch, a very good quality international um, uh, engineering firm. And, uh, you know, we're roughly in alignment with the work from the earlier uh, scoping study. So we're sitting at around about US $4.25 a pound OPEX, which, as Chris says, is uh, lowest quarter. So really, really happy with that. And I think most importantly, 
CapEx-wise, we're sitting well under the US $200 million level, sort of circa US $184 million of CapEx. So really happy with that. That's an imminently financeable project as a CapEx and lowest quartile OPEX. So looking forward to running the MPV numbers in the coming uh, coming couple of months. Okay, excellent. Okay, that, that gives, gives us a set. We can work some numbers out from that. So th those two projects are the kind of flagship projects, the nearest term in terms of nearest uh, revenue and furthest down the line. But I want to talk about some of the other projects which are sort of following on. This is where we get into that kind of mining territory again, I guess. Um, you've got lithium, titanium, more vanadium, um, and I think the exciting press release of of uh, recent time is around the nickel and, and palladium. So I might start with Mount Edwards, if I, if I may. Um, those are some pr pretty nice numbers. You, were you expecting palladium in there? Look, you know, uh, we know that there's a common affinity between platinum and palladium, you know, PGEs with, with nickel ore bodies. You know, we had traditionally used them as a geochemical vector in on where there might be decent nickel mineralization. And so, you know, out at Mount Edwards, uh, you know, we've got, uh, 8.7 million tonnes of resource at about 1.7% nickel for 146,000 tonnes of contained nickel in 11 nickel sulphide deposits, 50 kilometres from BHP's uh, 2 million tonne nickel concentrator that's currently on care and maintenance. Um, and so, you know, 47 granted mining leases, great, more than 300 square kilometres to tenure on the main road rail with access to all the infrastructure we need. So, you know, that's, that's a bit of a blessing. So what we've found is that from one of the, one of the northern deposits, Armstrong, which from our mining studies was probably going to be first cab off the rank. We did some CIDA test work to, to see what concentrates we could make. So, you know, our mining engineer went up there, he's grabbed a couple of uh, scientifically taken some samples to achieve the desired head grade, brought them back. We put them in two, three minute floats. So not, not I just call them roughers, so not detailed, just with RC chips that had bloody drilling fluids on them. And what we what we found out is that there's significant palladium and, and precious metals in the ore, and it was reporting to concentrates. So you, you mine it for nickel, and then you get these potential significant co-product credits of palladium, platinum, and uh, and gold. You know, so for the first time, we discovered that you can actually recover the platinum and platinum. We didn't actually know it was in those sorts of grades. So, you know, we've gone back into the statistics and we've got a database of 422,000 drill assays from 1968 through to 2008 when, when mining stopped. And uh, only 10% of those were assayed for platinum and palladium. And the majority of the resources were done by Western Mining. So in Western Mining disposed of the project in 1997, they'd taken more than 380,000 samples. Do you know how many were, were assayed for platinum and palladium? 100. So within those resources, um, we've, we've got practically, you know, 75% of all the um, assays that are greater than 1% nickel, only less than 25% of them have been assayed for platinum and palladium. And the majority of those were all Western mining resources. So, I mean, you know, now we have to infill drill to increase the inferred to indicated and actually to ascertain what the correct grades of platinum and palladium, because even the modern guys that explored from 1997 through to 2008 and, and did about submitted about 42,000 assays, they used to use a one gram, a top, uh, one gram per ton or one part per million top cut, which is crazy. So, you know, it's, it's, you know where you're going to find it. And whatever you find, platinum and palladium, that reports inside those wireframes for the nickel ore bodies is going to end up in the concentrate. And, you know, we've had approaches from a couple of uh, commodities traders and we're going to get some pretty healthy looking co-product credits. So but how do you play this, work. Chris? Because you've got optionality everywhere across your portfolio, right? And, yeah. you know, the, the project generator uh, or project developer model, which was great. And I understand the engineering components around, you know, battery recycling, vanadium recovery, etc. 
you've got a track record with Matt Marion. You know how to create value on mining projects. Where do you go with this? Because, you know, Palladium and Nickel are very topical you know, at the moment. Your grades are great. You know, you're going to be attractive. But how far down do you um, drive this project before you kind of want someone else to kind of step in with their balance sheet? Yeah, look, I think in the last year, we've been pretty consistent in our messaging that we're reviewing the most appropriate structure to realise value for our shareholders. And, you know, I, I, it's it's hard to see its value being reflected in the share price other than announcing the platinum and palladium, which the market cap picked up $25 million. Um, but, you know, I would, I, I would say it really needs, because there's a dearth of peers, of genuine advanced nickel resources that have got a very, very clear ability to be monetized. And you don't have to build a concentrator. There's a number of concentrators uh, in the Eastern Goldfields, which is where we're, we're, we're located. And so, you know, I think the the value uplift, it's, it's we're getting a discount for that project getting, get being hidden inside near metals. And for me, uh, however that looks, um, you know, it needs to be an independently resourced from a, it needs a dedicated team that are nickel developers to, because it's a production story. You know, we were, we were doing mining evaluation studies and then and the metallurgical test work as part of those mining, mining evaluation studies has thrown up such a massive curveball. We've just had to stop and say, well, we can't possibly plan a mine because we have such a big change, step change positively in value of, the mineralization that we're going to mine. So, I mean, what a quality problem to have. It's a great problem to have. But, but I'm intrigued. You know, do you spin it out and you know retain the ongoing value? For yeah, we're, that? we're going through. We're going through that process. You know, if I had to look at, you know, timeliness, uh, the consistent thematic with, you know. Uh, the materials. I mean, it, clearly they've got a link. They're EV materials and, and transport materials. There's no doubt about that. But you know, they are they are further upstream. They need a, a different skill. They need to be staffed up separately. You know, our our recycling and recovery is uh, is much less carbon intensive. And in the case of the vanadium, it's carbon negative. Um, and so. You know, they're, but there's significant value for the shareholders. So the board are going through that that process, and I expect that you know we'll have some clarity, uh, certainly on the best way uh, to develop the the Mount Edward value. I mean, we bought it when nickel was unsexy at twelve and a half thousand bucks a ton. We've invested ten million into it, and you know now it's one of the largest nickel holdings, and I would say probably one of the most prospective for for PGEs in Australia. You already know they're there. They're there north and south, 50 kilometres of strike in all of the deposits to, to varying levels. And we've just got to find out. I'm just, I'm so keen to find out. Yeah, no, I, I, I get the, you want to go after it on a fundamentals basis. You want to understand how you do this thing properly, how it becomes a mine and not go, you know, mining the market with, with headlines. Although you've seen how people react when you mention the word palladium at the moment or, or nickel, certainly with grades like this, it's, it must be uh, tempting to try and do well, something Well, the fantastic bit is it, it exists in the nickel ore body and whether you like it or not, it's going to report to the concentrator and if you're smart enough and, and you, you get a back-end solve that you like, you're going to pay, you've got the ability to pick up some significant coin. Okay. I will wait with bated breath and see how you play that one. Um, let's talk about Barambi. It's, it's been on the books for a while, you, you know, sli slightly unloved in, in the background, but you're stepping things up there. I mean, wh what are you up to? Yeah, so look, you know, we've recently announced a cornerstone, uh, an MOU for a cornerstone offtake agreement to get the project into production. You know, in evaluating the best way to skin the cat, you know, Barambi is the world's second highest grade hard rock deposit. Uh, behind Rio Tinto's Lacteo, it's a behemoth. We just we just don't have cheap hydropower in the outback in Australia, and so our very very smart metallurgists and consultants have come up with a way for us to make a, a mixed gravity concentrate. We can either downstream process that uh, to produce you know high quality ilmenite and iron vanadium concentrates, uh, and you know we've had some success in incorporating the the 
mixed gravity concentrates into the production of titanium slag. So, you know, titanium is just one of those beautiful building blocks of the modern uh, industrial world. The more developed a country is, the more intensity of use uh, of titanium. And, and China produces half the world's titanium and consumes half the world's titanium feedstocks. And so, you know, the mineral sands and the high quality mineral sands are running out. And so, you know, the benchmark prices are pretty much set by the guys that convert hard rock concentrates, be they Rio Tinto or the Chinese domestic market. So, you know, we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, a capital light startup. So mining, crushing, grinding, simple gravity spirals to make a magnetic concentrate, sorry, a gravity concentrate and to truck that out of the port of Geraldton for sale to third parties. And, you know, we're really delighted to have a leading titanium uh, slag producer in Juxing, who is looking to take 800,000 tonnes of mixed concentrate, which is, which is just fantastic. And, you know, the beauty about Barambi, you know, we've had it for 17 years. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a very, very large resource, very, very high grade, we, uh, we've got a granted mining lease. We've got a granted mining proposal to mine up to 1.2 million tonnes per annum of ore, and we've got ministerial approval to construct a concentrator up to 3.2 million tonnes in size. So, mate, it's shovel-ready. It's shovel-ready. So tell me more about this offtake. I mean, what does it mean in terms of cash you today to contribute towards getting this thing moving? What were the terms? Yeah, so look, you know, on the, on, on the revenue side, so we're, we're looking to get paid benchmark prices uh, for this with a floor price based on actual delivered costs into China plus a fixed margin. So it's, it's you know, how we approach developing Mount Marion. Uh, and so when we sign the binding agreements, you know, we will disclose the full commercial terms. So that's the revenue side of it. On the other side, we're looking to procure, you know, a build own operate um, proposal from mining service providers to essentially develop the mine, build the plant and to operate that on our behalf for, and they obviously will share in the economics of the project. So, you know, similarly that we did into Mount Marion. So, you know, the, the MOU is, uh, contemplates, uh, an evaluation, we're going to we're going to mine at least 200 tons, which were fully permitted of ore. We're going to process that, make 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 gravity concentrates. Uh, some we'll make into ilmenite, some we'll make into iron vanadium concentrates, and we envisage entering into full form agreements in January next year. After a very very, I mean, you know, we're going to supply these guys with 100 tons of con, and we've got to mine. It, it's it's going to take us a few months. So we've got, uh, we're targeting a uh, binding formal agreements by the end of January, 2022 and uh, binding build own operate or mine to port solution contracts with, with uh, mining service providers uh, a couple of months following that. So, you know, all things going well, we would be looking at uh, an investment decision in the June quarter of 2022. Okay, and just on the, I know you're going to tell us the, the, the terms, but are you getting any cash up front? And if you're not, have you got the money to be able to get things moving? Well, that was the beauty about Mount Marion. You know, we managed to build the world's largest uh, greenfields lithium concentrator with no upfront money and, uh, and a stage sellout. So, you know, at this point, uh, we've got plenty of money on our balance sheet. We understand that uh, the off-takers, you know, they need to provide letters of credit for their shipments. We will have to provide letters of credit to the third-party operators or perhaps, you know, some of them might want to want to have equity in the project. But the idea for us is it can make, uh, you know, we wouldn't have entered into this if it wasn't going to make very good economic sense. And uh, we might share in the economics but, you know, we uh, look, depending on, on how it pans out, if we can get high enough prices, you know, we, we, we may look at, at just having it on an arm's length contract as opposed to, to sharing equity. Okay. So Matt Marion 2, 
cookie cutter approach. It worked last time. It did. Um, and let's finish off with lithium. Um, the lithium project. How's that going? Yeah. So look, we are finalising the feasibility study. So it's a, a bankable feasibility study based on a class three engineering cost study that'll be completed by 30 June. So, you know, that's going along as we expected. You know, the, the good thing is that the lithium prices are very strong and uh, the outlook is, is very positive. Um, you know, the cornerstone offtake for that project comes out of our offtake rights from that we retain from Mount Marion, but we will need to supplement that with uh, third-party material that we have to buy in the market. Okay. But, but, but tell us more about that. I mean, in terms of the commercialization and timing and so forth of, of that project. Yeah. So, look, we're, we're co-funding that with uh, an Indian conglomerate called Manakaram Power. They're, they're part of a, a larger uh, sort of civil construction conglomerate, but they're the power trading. They're uh, India's third largest power trader. So we're co-funding that evaluation with a view to putting a 20,000 ton lithium hydroxide refinery into India. In terms of, you know, once we complete the feasibility study, you then have to go through a 12 to 18 month uh, front end engineering and design, um, you know, finalise your land or your environmental approvals. You wouldn't look, be looking to make a development decision until the end of 2022 at the earliest. And it Generally, these plants take a couple of years to build. I mean, it's a 2025 proposition. Okay. So what we're seeing is projects which are sort of dropping from end of next year each year for the next four, five years. Is, is it- well, you're going to have, you're going to have the, the battery recycling in the first quarter of next year, uh, Barambi in the second quarter. You're going to have the vanadium recovery project in the December quarter. You have three projects next year, all things going well, uh, shortly followed by the lithium refinery in terms of FIDs, and then you've got varying construction periods. You know, at this stage, I think we're looking at about 12 months for a battery recycling plant, uh, somewhere about 18 months, Darren, for the vanadium recovery plant, or two yeah, 15, years. 15 to 18 months, yep. Yeah, 15 to 18 months. The lithium refineries take a bit longer because they're a larger capital investment. They're large bits of kit. That's a two-year construction build out and Barambi, you know, if you're building a small concentrator, you know, you're looking at uh, probably a six to nine month build for that. Okay. It's starting to get, it's starting to get really interesting for, for shareholders. I mean, sort of, sit, you know, sitting and, and, and supporting you the past couple of years. So it can actually now gets line of sight to the commercialization of these of these projects. Yeah, well, you're going to have lots of feasibility studies. So you're going to have, you know, pre-feasibility, bankable feasibility, bankable feasibility, you know, then, and, and so you're going to, you've got these catalysts and they're all, you know, got nice, hard, fast OPEX and CAPEX around them. So you're better able to, to value the impact of what a positive investment decision will be. So I think, you know, out of the five projects, to, to have all four of them being able to reach investment decisions, you know, in the next 18 to 24 months, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a real blessing. Yeah, it, it's been interesting to watching this or following this the past year or so where I think people were looking to you guys to actually show that you could move the projects along at a pace, commercialise them, um, and then obviously, you know, I say line of sight to some sort of revenue flowing um, here. With with the goes to you know the share price moving recently, people are starting to obviously take notice of this. They're understanding the story better now. Um, yeah. Does that does that sort of turn your head slightly? Because you've got a lot of projects on the go here. Do you start looking sure. for more projects? Do you think, oh, we've got, we've, we've cracked this. Um, let's, let's, let's well, load if, up. You know, I would pose this to you. You know, for the battery recycling, if you're producing nickel, cobalt, lithium at the bottom end of the cost curve, what should you do? You shouldn't look for other projects. You should look for more and more feedstock and build more and more plants. That's your first focus. The vanadium recovery project, we've got a sustainable flow share that, to deliver us in the first quartile. Um, the lithium hydroxide and Barambi will invariably be middle to third quartile, right? So, you know, we're all limited by time. We're limited by capital. We want to make sure that we've got the most 
uh, efficient use. So, if, you know, highest return on investment, invested capital in the least amount of time, you know, that leads a bit of a segue into our partnering process. So, what we've liked to do is to, you know, identify the trends, you know, get our positions, build that value with the drill bit in the test lab, commercially, whatever, and then to build in, bring in big multi-billion dollar companies to, to commercialise these at scales that we couldn't achieve uh, on our own. I mean, we've got 80 million bucks in, in cash and investments and no debt. I mean, we're, we haven't raised money in seven years, right? So, you know, it's it's really, um, you know, our our focus is driven around what, what is risk return and time. Okay, here's one for you. You said at the beginning that um, one, one of your peers in the US being taken out of, uh, by SPAC. Um, you've got some options here. You're, you're feeding into the uh, European ecosystem, so AIM, sure. clearly. But if you're seeing what's happening in America with these, these SPACs and these funds you know, coming in and looking for ways of deploying capital, are you tempted to go list on another exchange and not necessarily London? Look, I think each, each, each of those businesses is capable of being run and and some of our other businesses that are each capable of of living life as separate entities right and so if you if you just said chris you've only got this amount you know what do you what do you keep and what do you give a life of its own you know you the shareholders still own it and maybe you want to put, put more money in or maybe they want to you know you get new money in or maybe you go and borrow money but it's getting them uh, through those evaluation stages. So we've identified the value, we've quantified the value, we've tried to take as much risk as we can out with the engineering study and the commercial relationships and the, the commercial arrangements. And, uh, and then when it comes to executing them, you know, we, we have positively chosen to get strong partners, right? Like SMS, they build them, and they can operate and maintain them, and they've got boatloads of cash, privately owned, 150 years. Um, they can they can finance whatever they want. And if my biggest problem is financing profitable plants uh, in battery recycling, well, I really haven't got anything to complain about. No, it's, it's true, but and, and, and I do understand that, and that's that's intelligent. But you're seeing some really crazy valuations in the US at the moment. Are you not tempted yep. to kind of plug into that ecosystem, not just for the financing component, well, but the valuations being attributed to it? Yeah, look, I think when when is the optimal time to sell? So, you know, we, we sold our biggest asset, which was an interest in the Mount Marion lithium mine, which is the world's second largest source of hard rock lithium concentrates. When prices were well in excess of what we'd modelled, the long-term prices, and we knew that the prices would invariably collapse until the next cycle. So we always got to be cognizant of, you know, you're in the boat, but you got to work out what the tide's doing, right? Because you don't get to low tide and get beached, right? And we're all acutely aware and we've been through a number of cycles. It doesn't matter how good your asset is, if you're in the bottom of a price cycle, it's nowhere you really want to be with all your shareholders. So, you know, I think we're cognizant. When, where are we in the, the, the businesses, uh, life cycle and, and what are the, what does the macro and micro look like and you know we're, I mean we're there to get make returns for the shareholders you know and and in our decisions thus far it's enabled us to share more than 55 million bucks back to the shareholders in dividends and another six million in on-market buybacks so I, I think you know we 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 are vigil. Uh, vigilant in terms of monitoring where we are in those cycles and there's I don't think you can make a reasonable case to say this is the best time to 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 sell a lithium battery recycling business you know once you've got three or four plants and you've got lots of growth and a dominant market position and that sort of stuff you could have a different sort of a conversation um, but you know what we've what we've seen you know is that um, developers of these advanced materials and, and integrated developers of them do get 
superior, you know, that exposure to this thematic do get exceptional PEs, but you get an exceptional PE when you get E, earnings. We haven't got earnings at the moment, right? So, you know, we want to get each of those businesses getting earnings and then you can always sit down and say, mate, you know, I know, I know what a, a reasonable PE is for this business and for some reason, if you want to pay me twice the number that's in my head, I might just let you have it. Great place to leave it. Chris, appreciate the roundup. Uh, congrats on the um, movement in the share price. It's, it seems to be the, the, the momentum's there. Jeremy, as always, and Darren, thank you very much for your contributions. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on. Looks like a, a ton of stuff coming down the line. Thank you Thanks, very much. Matt. You keep well. Thanks, Matt. Enjoy your new freedom. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.